right. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's Wednesday. This is Just Human number 209. And this is going to be Durham Report, Durham Report <laughs> Part 6. I will see if I can get my my uh, speech working before we dive into the report. A um, little allergic this morning. Spent a lot of time outside yesterday. And uh, yeah, it's I'm in Virginia it's, and there's trees. So um little sniffly, but I'm all right. I hope you guys are doing well. Um, we have more of this report to get to. I'm really excited about it. And tomorrow we're supposed to have Durham appearing before, um, con I guess, the Judiciary Committee. And um, I think that's I think that's who it is. And um, I'll be on Badlands to cover that tomorrow. I hope he actually is going to show up. I haven't seen any official confirmation that he is speaking tomorrow to Congress. I know he was invited to, and I've seen where media are talking about it, but I haven't seen some letter from Durham saying that he will be there tomorrow. Um, so I guess there's a chance that won't happen, but as long as there is, I'll, I'll be there. Um, and then of course I'll be on tonight with uh devolution power hour to go over other things that are in the news besides the Durham report. I'm sure we'll talk about Durham. Um, there's lots of other news going on. Um, looks like we're going to get a Ron DeSantis presidential announcement tonight, um, which is interesting. It's interesting to me, like, if you just put aside drama between Trump and DeSantis, I think it's pretty interesting that DeSantis is choosing to announce on Twitter. And I really like it. Um, I, I kind of think... I think it's a really good, I think we're going to see this more often now uh, where candidates realize that they can just go to social media and go directly to uh, potential voters instead of going to the media and then having the media communicate their message for them. Um, kind of weird that Elon's going to be interviewing him. So I guess Elon's endorsing DeSantis perhaps, but um I still, I still like it. I think it's really interesting that Twitter is the place that DeSantis is choosing to do this. And it's also the place where he's hired a bunch of uh, Twitter influencers to be his biggest fans. <laughs> he's been paying people on Twitter, Con Inc. influencers, for months now to promote his campaign and bash Trump. So he's gonna, it's going to be friendly territory for him in that respect. I'm sure there will be some... Uh, some people in that live perhaps that speak that are going to be actually paid by DeSantis to be his supporters, which is so cringe, but, um, yeah, anyway, it, it's, it's pretty interesting to me. Um, I still haven't, I haven't made up my mind about DeSantis and the Trump thing. I haven't made up my mind about it and I don't think I will. I don't think I will. Um, there's just too many things pointing to both sides of it e uh, either way. So I don't know if it's kayfabe or not. I never have known and, uh, still don't know. I think it's fun though. I think it's a lot of entertain, a lot of entertainment for us. And, um, I made a joke to someone yesterday on Twitter that silly joke that one of the reasons Grassley is growing all that corn and teach and teaching us how to grow it is because he's trying to make sure there's enough popcorn 
for us. <laughs> he wants to show us how to grow good corn so we can make good popcorn because we're going to need it. Um, we're heading for a really interesting time. And then we have um, Trump trial. Of course, this date may not stick, but Trump's trial in the uh, hush money case from Bragg, it's supposed to be, he's supposed to go to trial in March of 2024, like right in the middle of primary season. And Trump made that truth yesterday about how unfair it is and how bad it is for him to be involved in the trial in the middle of primary season. And I think it's very much a don't throw me in the briar patch type message where I don't, I don't, I understand how it could take him off the campaign trail, but I don't think, uh, I don't think Trump being on trial in the middle of primary season is going to hurt him all that much. I think it's going to invigorate his base and it's going to make a lot of people want to vote for him just to spite the, uh, the crooked, crooked system that is after him. Right. So it's like, it's like, uh, Trump is going to be, if it works out this way, Trump would be on trial during the primaries or there'd be trial proceedings going on. And that'll be the backdrop of Trump campaigning for another term. And I could see how his enemies would think that that would damage him. And he's going to, he's going to bait them into doing it, but it's actually going to help him. His numbers just keep going up. So I, I think that's, I think that's kind of funny and very typical Trump to uh, bait them into doing that. Of course, it may not stick though, because the, uh, the federal circuit is supposed to hear the, um, that the, the Trump's appeal in the hush money case in June. I think it's late June, like either the second to last or last week of June. Um, they're supposed to hear his appeal to get that case moved to federal court. And I think he will win that. Um, or at least they've made a damn good argument for it. Um, so if that happens, there'll be a new trial date. And I don't know how everything's going to work out then. Um, but anyway, those are some of the things in the news that are on my mind right now. And uh, I saw a couple of those things mentioned in um, in chat. And it's funny to me, and I'm not picking on anybody in chat. I just see Randy. Uh, good morning, Randy. I see you bringing up kayfabe. Um, and I see Jason. Thank you for the rant saying, so maybe we correctly identified the conning Doomer trolls. Nice work, Patriots. Yes, you did. Um, and DM Wilson, 316. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for being a supporter. Um, yeah, what I was going to say about kayfabe is I I don't know what it is. And I'm not I'm not saying it's you, Randy, like that you're like this, but you're, I see your comment about kayfabe that for some reason, kayfabe really triggers some people. And again, I'm not saying that it triggers you, Randy. Uh, but I noticed that yesterday with the Ron DeSantis thing, there's like a set of people, like a half dozen or a dozen, that anything happens with anybody, they immediately run to my socials and start commenting, is this kayfabe? Do you still believe in kayfabe? This doesn't look like kayfabe. Kayfabe is stupid. <laughs> and it cracks me up. It, cra it cracks me up that people are so, they're so triggered by it. And it's like, all right, well, maybe it's not. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it looks to me like it's kayfabe. When I find something that looks like kayfabe, I'm still going to like say that I, that's what I think it is. Um, it's funny to me and I don't know. And again, this has nothing to do with you, Randy. Um, I, I mentioned this to burning bright yesterday that 
I think there's um I think there's a there's a there's a good portion of of the community that are unwilling to accept the possibility that Trump and team use deception. They know and will tell you that our enemies and Trump's enemies use deception. They know that they full, they believe that, but they find it impossible to accept that our side would use deception. And I think that really gets down to it. I completely accept that Trump uses deception and that Trump team and the Patriots use deception. And I'm not bothered by it at all. But I think there's a good chunk of the community that just cannot accept that. And so, and I think that's what kayfabe triggers. I, I really do. I think that's what get what upsets them. And so whenever something develops along someone like DeSantis or Barr or Pence or something like that, they're just like, it can't be kayfabe. They must be evil. And yeah, I, I just find it, I find it, I find it funny and uh, a bit interesting. Um, that's a good comment. Music and fiction. Music and fiction says people always think of deception as a bad or immoral thing due to the inculcation of that mindset in education and in church. I think, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, I really do. Um, it's, inter it's interesting to me and I, I'm not particularly bothered by it. I'm just like, why are you so upset that I think there's some deception going on here? <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, I'm just, I'm just rambling on. We have a, um, we have a Durham report to get to. And if you're interested in following along, we're going to be starting on page 153, I believe. Yes. 153 is where we're going to start this morning. And, um, that's right, PJs. The doomers are exhausting and uh, on purpose. On purpose, they're exhausting. That's uh, that's part of their tactic, right? Wear you out so that you give up. Um, or at least quit being involved, quit being engaged with, with communities and whatnot. All right, so if you're interested in following along, following, 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 following along with the report, I have a link to it pinned on my Twitter so that you can go to it. It's also my, my thread that I'm continually adding to. Um, you can go and get the link so that you can follow along and read with us. Um, if you're interested in supporting the show or getting the podcast, go to justhuman.substack.com and that's where you'll get the podcast version of the show. It goes out a couple hours after the show is over. Um, I process the audio, upload it. I have to run a couple errands before it's actually done. It, but in the middle of the afternoon, just after lunch, Eastern time is when the podcast goes out right after the show. Um, but a paid subscription to justhuman.substack.com is the best way to support the show. The majority of your dollar actually ends up going to where you intend it to go, not to a an, a, inter, a middleman. Um, another way to support the show is go to bensonhoneyfarms.com and get yourself some delicious honey directly from the beekeepers. They are friends of the show and wonderful people. Use rep code JUSTHUMAN 
get yourself a big bar of honey. Now, the best product on here, the thing that I get the most comments about is when are they going to have the half gallon jar back in stock, which has been sold out. And I find myself also wanting the half gallon jar. Um, but that's how good their honey is. It's that people are like, we want to buy literally two quarts of it at a time. It's so delicious. And I have to agree, there is on here, I noticed, there's the pint bundle. Oh, no, it's sold out too. See, this stuff is going, guys. You got to get yourself some honey. Um, They have raw honey right here. There's a gift pack. The pint bottles are even sold out. Oh, man, you guys, you better get over here and get yourself some honey. Also, their soaps are wonderful. I can speak from experience. Their soaps are absolutely wonderful. I particularly, I like the coffee one a lot. I have to say that's probably my favorite. Also, the vanilla. Um, shocker that I like the coffee one. <laughs> um, anyway, BensonHoneyFarms.com. Use rep code JUSTHUMAN. And lastly, another way to support the show is to go to RedWhiteBourbon45.com. Get yourself some Just Human merch. The mug is fantastic and says understanding is greater than reacting on it, which is so true. And it's more true every day. And that is partly why we're going to get into the Durham report again. And we're going to keep going and reading this entire thing until we're done with it. Even though it means I'm not focusing on other news items um, like I normally would on this show. I think it's just too important. Um, I think this Durham report is too important. And uh, we should spend time trying to understand it instead of reacting to it. And as I posted last night on my socials, that's I think that's the best way to avoid doomerism and to avoid falling for fake news. Go directly to the source, read it for yourself, think on it yourself, decide for yourself. And that's what we're going to do with this report. Thank you, everybody. I see your comments. Thank you. Okay, I have to pick up on something now. Jason says, the biggest tell for me was the House Speaker vote. It even tricked Kyle. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did trick me. Um, boy, that was those were fun times, weren't they? And it's and it's paid off, hasn't it? The way that Speaker vote went and the way the job that McCarthy and the House GOP are doing right now, man, they're doing a great job. Um, they deserve a lot of credit, which means they're probably not going to get it. They're probably not going to get the credit that they deserve. Um, I also see that there's some uh, talk about being banned on True Social. There is some sort of issue. True Social made an announcement saying that there is some sort of issue with their, I think it's AI, that they were using to screen some things, and it went on a banning rampage, apparently. I don't know. Anyway. Durham Report, page 153. We are at this section seven right here. The Kalugan Allegation and Steel Report 2016-111. Let me zoom in a bit. Okay. For example, in connection... Actually, let me back up because that for example doesn't really hit very well. Let me back up just a minute. Or just one paragraph. So we were just talking about Dolan 
and uh, the interaction between Dolan and uh, Danchenko. And Dolan, however, denied that he had knowingly reported or knowingly provided any additional information to Danchenko that appeared in the Steele reports, but acknowledged that it was possible that he could have appeared in the Steele reports, that he could, no, not it was possible that he may have unwittingly been a source for the reports. Nevertheless, as discussed below, Dolan appears to have had access to substantially similar information to that which would later appear in other steel reports as well. Now this next paragraph is going to make sense. For example, in connection with the YPO conference, Dolan and U.S. Person 1 met with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak and Russian diplomat Kalugin, the head of the Russian embassy's economic section in Washington. These meetings took place in May, July, and October 2016. According to Dolan, Danchenko was not present at these meetings. Following the meeting on May 31, 2016, a member of Kalugin's staff, Maria Antonova, sent an email to Dolan and U.S. Person 1 telling them that, among other things, Kalugin would be returning to Moscow in September 2016 and would be replaced by another diplomat, Andrei Bondarev. Specifically, Antonova wrote, Quote, Mikhail, meaning Kalugin, assumes that the right contact point at the MFA, meaning Ministry of Foreign Affairs, I would guess, could be Mr. Andrei Bondarev, who is the deputy head of economic section at the ministry's Department of North America. Andrei will be replacing Mikhail here as the head of economic office this September, so it may be useful to start working with him now. Though we need to double check first whether he will be in Moscow during your visit. He will, we will get back to you when we have a reply. End quote. Danchenko was not a recipient of the email. On August 19, 2016, Kalugin sent an email to Dolan and others. The email stated in part, quote, Dear colleagues and friends, after six years of foreign service in Washington, it feels very timely now to bid farewell and go back home to Moscow for embarking on my new endeavors. Let me also take this opportunity and introduce you to the new head of economic office, Counselor Mr. Andrei Bondarev. Many of you may remember that Mr. Bondarev since his previous appointment at the embassy a couple of years ago. Andrei is a talented diplomat and economist with impressive experience in American studies. I'm glad to leave you in such a good company and have no doubts that you will find common ground very soon. Again, Danchenko is not a recipient of this email. A steel report dated 14th September 2016, which is 2016 111 is the, uh, the title or the description of the report, contained the following allegation, quote, Speaking separately to the same compatriot, a senior Russian MFA official reported that as a prophylactic measure, a leading Russia diplomat, Mikhail Kalugin, had been withdrawn from Washington on short notice because Moscow feared his heavy involvement in the U.S. presidential election operation, including the so-called veterans' pensions ruse, reported previously, would be exposed in the media there. His replacement, Andrei Bondarev, however, was clean in this regard. End quote. This allegation bore substantial similarities to information that Dolan received in May and August 2016 from Russian embassy staffer Maria Antonova and Kalugin himself, insofar as Dolan was aware that Kalugin was being replaced by Bondarev. 
Further, records obtained by the office revealed that Dolan reached out to Danchenko on September 13, 2016, the day prior to the date of the Steele report. On the day of that call, Danchenko was initially in Russia, but later traveled to London. Which... You can see what's going on here. Dolan has the information. He meets with Danchenko. Danchenko goes in Moscow. Danchenko then goes to London, meets with Christopher Steele, and the next day, boom. Steele Report 2016-111. Boom. When interviewed by the FBI in January 2017, Danchenko stated that he had known Kalugin since 2014. Danchenko purported to learn the information about Kalugin's departure from Kalugin himself when the diplomat was allegedly assisting Danchenko in obtaining a new Russian passport. Danchenko further stated that Kalugin described his replacement, Andrei Bondarev, as a bright young guy. Danchenko also stated that his conversation with Kalugin took place in late spring 2016, which also happened to be the same time in which Dolan received the email from embassy staffer Maria Antonova indicating that Kalugin was being replaced in the ordinary course. A review of Danchenko's phone records, emails, and social media accounts do not indicate that Danchenko maintained a relationship with Kalugin. Moreover, during the January 2017 interviews, Danchenko provided the FBI with a business card for Kalugin. The business card contained a handwritten cell phone number on the card. When interviewed by the office, Dolan identified the handwriting on the business card as his own. So Dolan introduced Danchenko to Kalugin, or at least gave him Kalugin's business card with phone number. When Steele was interviewed by the FBI in September 2017, he stated in sum that Danchenko told him that he, Danchenko, had learned of the Kalugin information after bumping into Kalugin at a Moscow on a Moscow street in August 2016, just randomly walked into him on a street, which was the same time that Dolan received the email from Kalugin indicating that he was leaving for Moscow and being replaced by Andre Bondarev. However, the office's investigation has revealed that Danchenko was present in the United States during the entire month of August 2016. Steele further told the FBI that the information contained in Report 2016-111 was derived from his primary subsources, Danchenko's, direct contact with multiple subsources. These subsources included Alexei Pavlov, the Deputy Press Secretary of the Russian Presidential Administration, Senior Minister of Foreign Affairs Personnel, and two other unidentified individuals. Steele did not identify the two other individuals. However, as noted above, one, Charles Dolan maintained a relationship with Alexei Pavlov, two, had attempted to reach out to Pavlov in connection with the YPO conference, and three, had met with two deputies from the press office during the June planning trip. Again, the office found no evidence showing that Danchenko met directly with Pavlov or had previously maintained a relationship with Pavlov. Indeed, in the months leading up to the YPO conference, it was Dolan, not Danchenko, who had reached out to Pavlov on behalf of both YPO and Olga Galkina. Dolan informed the office that he would be surprised if Galkina had any contacts in the Kremlin. 
When initially interviewed by the office, Dolan stated in some that he was unsure if he told Danchenko about Kalugin being replaced by Bondarev, but that he had no specific recollection of doing so. In a later interview, Dolan stated in some that he believed there was a low probability that he mentioned the Kalugin departure to Danchenko, but that he could not completely rule out the possibility. Nevertheless, on February 9th, 2018, Dolan sent the following email to three U.S.-based acquaintances, quote, Dear boy, you must pay attention. Unlike your pal, the short-lived National Security Advisor General Flynn, I can remember meeting with Mr. Mikhail Kalugin several times and would be happy to come forward with details to the FBI and others. There are several other points in the dossier that are true. Let me know if you need additional clarification. Dolan attached to the email a BBC News article titled, quote, Trump-Russia dossier key claim verified. In the article, BBC journalist Paul Wood stated that, quote, sources I know and trust have told me the U.S. government identified Kalugin as a spy while he was still at the embassy. In this email, Dolan appears to volunteer that he possesses inside information on the Steele Report allegations concerning Kalugin, as well as other information pertaining to the veracity of additional Steele Report allegations. I scrolled past a couple footnotes. I want to check and see if there's anything interesting in them. Steel report, Jason, 16 seconds. A phone call of 16 seconds was the. Okay, so that's the Septem- on sep- that September 13th, 2016, when Dolan reached out to Danchenko, that's when they had a 16 second phone call. And looking at these footnotes. Okay. Next section, the Ivanov allegation contained in Steel Report 2016-111. Before I read that, thank you over on uh, Foxhole. Thank you, uh, Just Dukies, for the gold pill. And uh, Bone Slop, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. He says, I find myself reflecting on your mantra of understanding before reacting all the time now. I feel more awake all the time. Hey, Awesome. I have to I have to tell myself that too. I sometimes catch myself. I've re, I react to something and then I think back I'm like, "Oh. I was kind of reacting there before I understood what was going on." It's very human of us. S Grouper. Thank you very much for the rumble rumble rant. I I am very confident that much will come from this report. All right, the Ivanov allegation contained in Steel Report 2016-111. An additional allegation appearing in the same Steel Report as the Kalugin allegation concerned the firing of Sergei Ivanov, the then chief of staff of the Russian presidential administration. The allegation stated in part, quote, Putin had been receiving conflicting advice on interfering from three separate and expert groups. On one side had been the Russian ambassador to the U.S., Sergei Kislyak and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, together with an independent and informal network run by presidential foreign advisor Yuri Ushakov, who was Kislyak's predecessor in Washington, who had urged caution and the potential negative impact on Russia from the operations. On the other side was former PA head 
Sergei Ivanov, backed by Russian Foreign Intelligence, which is SVR, who had advised Putin that the pro-Trump anti-Clinton operation or operations should be both effective and plausibly deniable with little blowback. The first groups had been proven right, and this had been the catalyst in Putin's decision to sack Ivanov unexpectedly as PA head in August. His successor, Anton Vino, or Vino, had been selected for the job partly because he had not been involved in the U.S. presidential election operations. End quote. This allegation coincided with information that Dolan had received from Galkina regarding changes in the Russian presidential administration in the weeks prior to the issuance of Steel Report 2016-111. In particular, on August 12, 2016, the same day that Ivanov was reportedly fired, Galkina sent a Facebook message to Dolan stating, quote, Russian presidential administration is making significant changes right now. Danchenko was not copied on this message. Minutes later, Dolan and Galkina spoke for approximately 10 minutes. And that is according to a Facebook entry. Another Facebook entry. Looks like they they must have used Facebook to talk because the 10-minute the phone call is uh, cited right here. There's a Facebook entry. On September 13th, 2016, the day prior to the date of the Steel Report containing the Ivanov allegation, Dolan called Danchenko. As discussed above, at the time of this call, Danchenko was in Russia. And it's really important. That's more than once. It's important to point out and note here that that's more than once that a subsource has gone to Dolan. And then the information has ended up with Danchenko. Instead of it going to Danchenko immediately and then him being Dolan just becoming aware of it, Galkina went to, Dol- went to, Dan- went to Dolan. And that last person, they went to Dolan, like, and then Danchenko finds out about it after the fact. That shows you how involved Dolan was in this, that people know to go to Dolan and give him the information. And then he ends up giving it to Danchenko and Danchenko gives it to Steele. Steele puts it in the report. There you go. When interviewed by the FBI in January 2017, the FBI asked Danchenko about the sourcing of his allegation. Danchenko stated that he learned about the allegation involving Ivanov from Galkina and, quote, two other friends. According to the FBI's interview report, Danchenko did not identify the two other friends, nor did he mention Dolan in connection with the allegation. The FBI interview report does not state whether Danchenko was asked to provide the names of the two other friends. When interviewed by the FBI in September 2017, Steele stated that the information in this report was derived from Danchenko's direct contact with multiple subsources, including Alexei Pavlov. When interviewed by the office, Dolan initially stated that he never discussed Russian politics with Galkina. When confronted with the Facebook exchange regarding the shakeup in the Russian presidential administration, Dolan stated that it was, quote, possible that he had spoken with Galkina about Ivanov being fired, but again, had no specific recollection of doing so. It just made, it just, again, it makes me think, like I said the other day on the show, during the reading, that Durham could have charged Dolan with a 1001 charge. 
for lying to the special counsel. And he didn't. And there's got to be a damn good reason for it. And I don't think it's as simple as it would have been hard to get a conviction on it. Can't DC courts are crooked. Can't get a fair. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. I, th- I think there's there's more there. All right, the YPO conference, October 2016. On September 30th, 2016, U.S. Person 1 sent Dolan the final draft agenda for the YPO conference. Dolan replied, quote, thanks, we'll send to Peskov. Thereafter, in early October 2016, Dolan and Danchenko made their way separately to Moscow for the YPO conference. During the January 2017 interviews, Danchenko informed the FBI that he did not collect any information for Steele during the YPO conference. Steele, however, told the FBI that, in fact, two reports, 2016-130 and 2016-132, were comprised of information that Danchenko purported to have gathered during the YPO conference. In any event, the YPO conference featured several Russian government officials, including Konstantin Konstantin Kosachev, a senior member of the Russian Duma, which is their parliament, and Mikhail Kalugin, a member of the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and, as discussed above, formerly assigned to the Russian embassy in Washington. Andrei Bondarev, another member of the Russian Foreign Ministry of Affa- Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and, as discussed above, the diplomat who replaced Kalugin in Washington, was listed as a point of contact for the conference. Dolan informed the office that during the conference, he sat next to Kosachev. A Steele report dated October 20th, 2016, which is 2016-136, less than two weeks after the YPO conference, contained the following allegation, quote, The Kremlin insider went, to, went on to identify leading pro-Putin Duma figure Konstantin Kosachev, head of the Foreign Relations Committee, is an important figure in the Trump campaign Kremlin liaison operation. Kosachev also, quote, plausibly deniable being part of the Russian legislature rather than executive, had facilitated the contact in Prague and by implication may have attended the meetings with Cohen there in August. During the January 2017 interviews, Danchenko stated the information in the Steele reports related to Cohen and Prague came from Galkina. This is consistent with what Steele informed the FBI of during his September 2017 interview. However, as discussed more below, when interviewed by the FBI in August 2017, Galkina denied knowing anything about a Cohen meeting in Prague. Indeed, the FBI found no evidence that Cohen had met Russian officials in Prague, and no, and no evidence has ever surfaced that Cohen went to Prague. Um... It's always been a lie from Galkina. What? I'm going to check these footnotes right here. Pio Conference. Jinko. Okay. Dolan's contact with Danchenko following the YPO conference. Upon returning from the YPO conference in early October 2016, Dolan and Danchenko continued to communicate. On October 8, 2016, Danchenko traveled from Moscow to London to meet with Christopher Steele. On October 9, 2016, Danchenko asked Dolan, who was still in Moscow, 
to purchase medication for him from a Russian pharmacy. Dolan agreed that he would collect the medicine and deliver it, deliver it to Danchenko when he, Dolan, returned to Washington, D.C. Thereafter, on October 18, 2016, Danchenko and Dolan met at K Global's office in Washington, ostensibly for Danchenko to secure the medication from Dolan. The day following this meeting at K Global, two steel reports were generated, 2016-135 and 2016-136. These reports alleged, among other things, that Cohen was heavily engaged in covering up Trump's ties to Russia and specifically to contain further scandals involving Manafort and Page. As discussed above, this report 2016-136 also contains reference to Konstantin Kosachev. In January 2017 interviews, Danchenko attributed this information to Galkina. Again, Galkina told the FBI that she was not aware of Cohen's alleged meeting in Prague. Now, I'm trying to remember, I think it was cold meds. If I remember the trial correctly, I think he said something about cold meds, and it was so absurd. I think I think this lie about him going to get medicine while in Russia, or going to get medicine for him, and um, Danchenko asked Dolan, who was still in Moscow, to purchase medication for him from a Russian pharmacy. So, if I remember correct, it was like cold medicine or something. It's such a stupid lie. Like, why would you contact somebody in Russia? Unless there was like some Russian medicine that you just like really want because it's better than what's in the U.S. But I don't know. Or you just prefer it to what's in the U.S.? I don't, I don't, I, I find it hard to believe. I think it's a stupid lie that he came up with on the spot and then, and a cover. But I think it's a, a silly excuse for a meeting. I wonder how many times they've looked back at that and regretted it because it just doesn't pan out. Um, it's the kind of li- it's the kind of lie that comes up in an investigation. I think that you're the cops are like, uh, there's something more there. This lie doesn't quite cover up what they think it covers up. But yeah, genealogy girl. Good morning. Yeah, it could be. It could be code. It could have been a code between them. Hey, if I message you about medication, it means I pick something up really important while on my trip. Come meet me at the office. Like, um, anyway, the day following this meeting, the two steel reports were generated. So, you know, that's what they talked about. That's why they met. It didn't have anything to do with actually giving medicine. It had to do with communicating the next set of allegations to be included in the steel report and Danchenko was the link from Dolan to Steele. Later on later on November 3rd, 2016, Dolan and Danchenko met for lunch in Washington DC. After that, on New Year's Day 2017, Danchenko and Dolan met in a park in Arlington, Virginia. When asked about the circumstances of this meeting, Dolan informed the office in some that he was looking at Facebook and he noticed that Danchenko had posted a picture with his daughter in the park. Dolan stated that since the park was so close to his house, he decided to drive over to meet Danchenko. Another dumbass lie. On the evening of January 10th, 2017, BuzzFeed became the first media outlet to publish the Steele reports. On the morning of January 11th, 2017, Dolan called Danchenko. Dolan stated that he called Danchenko because he had suspicions 
that Danchenko was behind the Steele reports based on the fact that, among other things, he learned, quote, it was a London operation. And he knew that Danchenko did due diligence work for Orbis, which was based in London. Dolan also thought Galkina might have been a source for Danchenko given her employment at servers.com. During the call, Danchenko told Dolan in some that he did not know who was behind the reports, but that he would let Dolan know if he came across any information. By the way, you see that? My, there's a link to click right here to go to servers.com. Oh, it's because it spells out servers.com. Never mind. Um, I remember this from the trial. It's it's unbelievable. It's just not credible. According to Dolan, the January 11th, 2017 call was the last time he had contact with Danchenko. On January 13th, 2017, Dolan emailed a U.S.-based acquaintance the following message. Quote, I've been interviewed by the Washington Post and the London Times three times over the last two days over the MI6 dossier on Trump, and I know the Russian agent who made the report. He used to work for me. My client in Cyprus has been accused of being the party that organized the hacking. Presently speaking with the barrister in London who is filing a brief against former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele has been unmasked as the man behind an explosive dossier about U.S. President-elect Donald Trump. Also in conversation with former British ambassador who knows Steele, quite right, oh, what a boring life, end quote. At the time the email was sent, Danchenko is not publicly known to be a source for Steele. When asked by the office why he referred to Danchenko as a Russian agent, Dolan initially said that he was being facetious, but then also elaborated that he had suspicions about Danchenko's ties to Russian intelligence. Dolan knew the whole time. Dolan knew the whole time that Danchenko was a Russian agent. Um, all right, the FBI's failure to investigate Charles Dolan's role as a possible source for the Steele reports. Information from four Steele reports, 2016 080, 2016-94, 2016-095, and 2016-102. By the way, it really, really annoys me that some of these have a zero and some of them don't. Like, why can't it just be 2016-80 and 2016-95? Why is there a zero in this one and this one, but not this one? Anyway was included in the four FISA applications targeting page. As discussed above, the FBI was not able to corroborate a single substantive allegation in the Steele reports. Nevertheless, the Steele reports would form the foundation for the narrative that a U.S. presidential campaign was actively engaged in, quote, a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation with a foreign adversary. Danchenko was the primary source of information for this narrative that was weaved throughout the Steele reports. Indeed, as noted earlier, in his own words to an acquaintance, Danchenko stated that he, quote, collected some 80% of the raw intel and performed half the analysis for the Chris Steele dossier. Accordingly, Danchenko's relationship with Dolan and Dolan's proximity to key figures and events that appear in the Steele reports should have been an ample basis at a minimum to interview Dolan. However, as discussed below, Dolan was never interviewed, despite the suggestion from both Steele and Galkina 
that Dolan could have information related to the steel reports and the detailed analysis undertaken by two FBI personnel assigned to the Mueller team. Danchenko's hesitancy to speak to the FBI about Charles Dolan. Danchenko did not mention Dolan to the FBI during the January 2017 interviews, despite revealing his, Danchenko's, participation in the YPO conference in October 2016. Further, in a June 15, 2017 interview with Helson, which in part focused on Dolan, Danchenko, Danchenko only revealed that he was present with Dolan during the YPO conference in October 2016. Notably, Danchenko did not inform the FBI that he met with Dolan in Moscow during the June planning trip, a material omission given the fact that, according to Steele, Danchenko was collecting information for Steele during that trip. In a June 2017 interview, Danchenko was also asked if he had spoken to Dolan regarding any allegation containing the Steele reports. Danchenko denied that Dolan provided any specific information related to the Steele reports. In particular, when Helson mentioned Dolan's name during a conversation about individuals who may have contributed to the Steele reports, the following exchange in part occurred. Helson. Um, because obviously I don't think you're the only Danchenko. Mm-hmm. Helson, person that has been contributing. You may have said one, and this is the other thing we are trying to figure out. Do you know a Chuck Dolan? Danchenko. Do I know Chuck Dolan? Yeah. Helson, how long have you known him? Laughing. Approximately 15 second pause. Danchenko, I've known Chuck for, pause, I don't know, a couple years maybe. Helson, a couple years? Danchenko, but, 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 I've known, I've known of him for like 12 years. Helson, okay. Danchenko, uh, 11 years, because he'd always come to Russia and Russian, Russian when he worked for Ketchum. Okay. In like 2006, 2007. So that was how far back? Yeah. When, um, and that was with Ketchum? When you know, well, okay. Uh, Russia organized the G20 and he was on. He worked with Ketchum on the, on the, on Russian power. Helson, that would make sense. Danchenko, but he's a very nice guy. Yes. Danchenko. Yeah. Yeah. He likes Russia. I don't think he is, uh, would be any way involved. But, but, but um, what I would think would be he would be easily played, maybe. Uh, he's a bit naive in his um, liking of Russia. Helson. Okay, so you've had, was there any, but you, you had never talked to Chuck about anything that showed up in the dossier, right? Danchenko, no. Helson, you don't think so? Danchenko, no. We talked about, you know, related issues, perhaps, but no, no. No, nothing specific. Okay, I got to pause on this exchange. I remember it from the trial well, but I just want to pause right here. When someone repeats a question back to you, Helson, do you know a Chuck Dolan? Danchenko, do I know a Chuck Dolan? Yeah. When a, when a, when a subject... I mean, it's not like I'm a cop or anything. I'm just saying, like, this is like basic interrogation knowledge. When your when your interrogation subject repeats the question back to you, they're stalling for time. They're trying to figure out how they 
how they want to handle this. And it's, yeah, that's right, Snarky. Good morning. It's a tell. It's a tell when they repeat their question back to you because that's, it's a, it's usually a reaction that gives them a little bit more time, just a few more seconds to try and think of how they're going to handle it. So notice he does that immediately, but then there's this 15 second pause later where he's trying to think about how long he's known Chuck and he's trying to think, well, and, and you can understand what is going on in Danchenko's mind. He's like, well, if I say 12 years, are they going to go back and find all the time I've like, are they going to be able to prove that? But if I only say I know him for two years, what if they find something from 12 years ago and catch me in a lie? So like he's trying to figure out and he decides to go for like 12 or 11 years um, and then bring up Ketchum and other things. But as we know, Danchenko and Dolan knew each other very well. So well that Dolan would surprise Danchenko in the park with a meeting. Just, oh, Danchenko's at the park. I want to go to the park too. All right, back to the report. In a later part of the conversation, Danchenko informed Helson that Dolan had conducted business with Olga Galkina and Servers.com and that Dolan maintained a professional friendship with Dmitry Peskov, the Russian Presidential Administration press secretary. In his FBI reporting document detailing his interview, Helson observed that Danchenko was hesitant about acknowledging his association with Dolan. Indeed, when interviewed by the OIG in October 2018, Helson stated that in the course of his meetings with Danchenko, quote, when I brought up Charles Dolan, it was very gray, not complete. That's because there's something there. There's a lot there. More like it. Ingold Inc. 73, thank you for the rumble rant. Rumble rant. <laughs> thank you very much. Following the June 15, 2017 interview, Helson raised Dolan's name on several other occasions. For example, in an interview on October 23, 2017, Danchenko provided the names of several individuals, including Dolan, who concerned Danchenko because of their relationship with the Russian government. Danchenko characterized Dolan as having too many dubious connections to Russian government officials, including Dmitry Peskov and Alexei Pavlov. Additionally, in, December, in a December 20, 2018 interview, Danchenko stated that Dolan had shared emails about Manafort's ties to Russia and Ukraine. Danchenko also stated that U.S. Person 2 was someone who may have known about his, Danchenko's, work on the Steele reports because Dolan would have confided in U.S. Person 2 about Danchenko. Helson documented the content of this meeting in an FBI reporting document. However, Danchenko provided no further information or context about Dolan or U.S. Person 2. the FBI's failure to interview Charles Dolan. As discussed above, Dolan first came to the attention of the Crossfire Hurricane investigators during Steele's October 2016 interview in Rome. That's the very first time Dolan comes up. And they never bothered to, he never got interviewed by the FBI until, or by any law enforcement, until Durham came along and interviewed him in 2021, I think was their first interview. Following that meeting, the Crossfire Hurricane personnel prepared a background report on Dolan. Steele again raised Dolan during a September 2017 interview with the FBI, when he indicated that at least one allegation in his reporting was sourced to Dolan. 
Notwithstanding Steele's October 2016 statements about Dolan, the FBI did not question Danchenko during the January 2017 interviews about Dolan or any of the other U.S. citizens that Steele suggested might have information about Trump and Russia. The FBI learns of Dolan's relationship with Olga Galkina. In January 2017 interviews, Danchenko informed the FBI that Galkina was a source for several of the allegations contained in the Steele reports. As testimony in the Danchenko trial detailed, following this revelation in the spring of 2017, the FBI began to review its databases for information to Galkina, related to Galkina. From its review, the FBI learned, among other things, that one, Galkina maintained a relationship with Charles Dolan, and two, Galkina had met with Dolan, Danchenko, and others in Washington, D.C. in March 2016 to discuss a business relationship between Servers.com and K-Global. As discussed more fully below, beginning in the fall of 2017, Mueller, Analyst 1, whose assignment was to find corroborating information for this deal reporting, drafted a lengthy memorandum outlining the FBI's holdings on Galkina as they related to the Steele reports. Dolan featured prominently in this memorandum because of his connections to, among others, Galkina, Danchenko, and Dmitry Peskov, and his work for Servers.com. Based on the information detailed above, in the late spring and early summer 2017, the FBI began to investigate what, if any, role Dolan played vis-a-vis the Steele reports. To that end, on June 12, 2017, Otten, who at that time was a member of the Mueller special counsel team, sent an email to Helson, another Mueller team member, quote, Mueller supervisory special agent one, and others, stating in part, quote, some thoughts. One, I'm not sure Danchenko has ever mentioned his connection with Dolan. Two, I'm positive Danchenko never mentioned that he'd, he'd done limiting consulting for servers.com i.e. putting Dolan in touch. Three, as Dolan is tied to Peskov and Presidential Administration Press Communications, who is to say that he versus Galkina is the true subsource for Peskov and PA-related reporting in Steele? Four, can we run Dolan through unattrib open source? to see if he's done any opposition political research, etc. The path of information could have been Kremlin, Galkina, Danchenko, Steele, or Kremlin, Dolan, Galkina, Danchenko, Steele, or Kremlin, Dolan, Danchenko, Steele. Three days later, on June 15th, 2017, Helson became the first FBI employee to ask Danchenko about his relationship with Dolan, despite the fact that the Crossfire Hurricane team was aware of Dolan's potential connections to the Steele report as far back as October 2016, and their direct interactions with Danchenko since January 2017. Helson's request to interview Charles Dolan. Given Danchenko's reluctance to speak about Dolan and information learned from the Mueller Special Counsel team, Helson concluded that an interview of Dolan was a logical investigative step. He was right. However, when Helson raised this prospect with Mueller special counsel team, he was explicitly told not to interview Dolan. Helson expressed confidence 
that Otten was the individual who told Helson to, quote, hold off on interviewing Dolan. When interviewed by the office, Otten did not have a recollection of telling Helson not to interview Dolan. During a July 27, 2021 interview with the office, Helson stated he aggressively pushed the Dolan information to the Mueller special counsel team, but received very little feedback. Helson believed that the Mueller special counsel attorney, Andrew Weissman, and a female attorney he was unfamiliar with, were present for at least one briefing Helson provided to the Mueller team in which he shared information regarding Dolan. Helson also stated in some that Dolan should have been further investigated in connection with the steel reports, or at a minimum, interviewed based on the information that was available to the FBI at that time. In December 2017, Helson shared his, con- his concerns about Dolan with Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 and Mueller Analyst 1, both part of the Mueller Special Counsel team. For example, on December 21st, 2017... Wait, I want, did I skip something? No. For example, on December 21st, 2017, in an FBI link chat with Mueller Analyst 1, Helson wrote, quote, I really don't like that guy, Dolan, and that he, Helson, was, quote, fighting to get them, Mueller team, interested in what I have here, referring to Dolan. In the same chat, Helson informed Mueller analyst one that he would, quote, keep talking to him, Danchenko, about Charles Dolan. On January 9th, 2018, Helson sent a link message to Mueller analyst one stating, quote, what a little triangle the three of them have, Danchenko, Galkina, and Dolan. This Helsing guy, he was on to it. Finally, on January 17th, 2018, after reviewing Mueller Analyst 1's memorandum on Galkina, Helsin wrote to Mueller Analyst 1, quote, it really makes Dolan look like he should be investigated. Indeed, as Helsin would later state to the OIG, quote, there is an individual we find we kind of were watching pop up a lot, and that's Chuck Dolan, formerly with Ketchum Group. He's in the same circles. I'm like, are you sure that I mean, because it would be classic potential tradecraft to be like, if you can get information corroborated by one, you can attribute to one and mask exactly where you got it. Is it because, and I don't think anyone's interviewed him, because I, at the time, I had suggested interviewing Dolan. Special Counsel Mueller, like, no, no, don't. Don't go talk to him yet. So, and I never, when they said stay away, I was like, okay, I don't want to. Because I was concerned. I was like, is Dolan the source? Because, and and, and think there's actual, like, when I talked with Danchenko about him, he initially was reluctant to bring Dolan up. Then he seemed fond of him in a way. So he, Dolan, was in the same, he was in the same events, YPO conference. And we're like, does he, Dolan, go to London? Does he talk to, I mean, does, does Chris Steele got him too? I'm like, and that is a question I have flagged. It's like when it gets quiet and Dolan is from what I understand, Dolan doesn't want to be talking at this point. So I want to strike that at some point and say, cross that off my list of here's what I would really like to talk about, or at least interview him, meaning Dolan. That would be the only one that I would think would be a source that could have contributed to the dossier and have attributed it to Galkina and thinks it is too because he's there too. And it would be. There's there's more sources to it. The Steele reports, 
than actually there are. Chris Steele hasn't come off of any of them at this point. I mean, I don't want to just, that's just a theory that I, and then that's the end of it. Sorry for that being a little bit difficult, but that's a, a transcription of Helson talking to the OIG. Nevertheless, as discussed below, a case was never opened on Dolan and Dolan was never interviewed by the FBI. All right, I'm going to pause for a second to comment on that. Lisa, thank you very much for the Rumble rant and for becoming a monthly supporter. They say they never miss my shows. Thank you very much. I never miss them either. Um, but don't. My, my, my oldest son tells me dad jokes all the time, and it's starting to have an effect on me. He, he, got, a, he like got a book at a book fair one time that was like a book of dad jokes. I think he got it when he was like in first grade or second grade, and it's endless. It's just dad jokes all the time for my oldest kid. It never ends. And it's hilarious. It's dad jokes are funny on their own typically, but a dad joke coming from a nine-year-old is a, uh, it's a different kind of funny. <laughs> um, anyway, he catches a lot of people out with it too. Cause they don't expect a nine year old to be telling dad jokes. <laughs> All right. Anyway, my comment on this Helson Helson was Danchenko's handler and he deserves a lot of flack. I remember, I remember Durham really putting it to him in the trial. And, um, if I recall correctly, I think, yeah, he's been referred Helson. What it's, it's in the referrals in this document. Helson's been referred to, um, I think to the IG, to Horowitz for some things. Uh, one of them was advice on Danchenko's taxes. And then there was something else, but you look at this and Helson was on the scent. He was on the scent. Imagine how differently this whole thing could have gone. If Helson, if they had listened to Helson and if he had been allowed to interview Dolan way back in 2017, um, Things could have developed completely differently. Um, I mean, credit to him. Credit to Helson for uh, for being on this. And also remember that Helson, his primary interest in Danchenko was for the Russian counterintelligence that Danchenko could provide. And so, and he, I remember him saying that Danchenko was like the greatest source he ever worked with. And he was mad. He was mad that Danchenko was revealed as the source of the dossier and that Durham charged him because it ended up taking away his source, his CHS. And it's it's understandable because Helson, or at least I think it's understandable, because Helson has a job, right? His job is Russian counterintelligence, and he has this source. He's providing him abundant information related to Russian intelligence and operations and so it's it, i mean he's a gold mine from helson's perspective so helson wants to protect his source right he wants to protect this information stream that he's that he has that he's developed and then along comes durham and it ends that relationship 
And so Helson was mad about that. And you can, you can understand it. Um, it's in, it's interesting to think about how Helson's the position Helson was in where he's like, he needs to protect his source, but his source is also part of this conspiracy and is hiding others within that conspiracy. It's interesting to think about, in my opinion, anyway. Um, if I remember right, I think he said that information from Danchenko resulted in the opening of like three or four dozen counterintelligence investigations, something like that. Or Danchenko contributed information that was useful to something like three or four dozen counterintelligence investigations. Um, which just goes to show you just how, how much information Danchenko had. Um, he was, he was definitely a Russian agent. Okay. The FBI interviews of Olga Galkina. In August 2017, Mueller Special Counsel Agent 1, Otten, and a Russian-speaking agent, who is going to be Washington Field Office Special Agent 1, WFO, traveled to Cyprus to interview Galkina. I remember this. Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 testified during the Danchenko trial that the purpose of the interview was to determine if Galkina provided Danchenko with information contained in the Steele reports, and if so, her motivation for doing so. I I feel like we know this person's name from the trial. I don't know why he's using this descriptor, but he is. I'm pretty sure we learned her name during the trial. During the Cyprus interview, which was conducted over the course of two days, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 stated that Galkina appeared to be forthcoming on most questions posed, except when she was asked about Dolan. Galkina informed Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 that she did not want to speak about Dolan. On the second day of the interview, Galkina stated in sum that she had spoken with two individuals about information that would later appear in the Steele reports. Steele reports. One of the individuals Galkina passed information to was Danchenko, but Galkina initially refused to identify the other individual. Later in the interview, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 again pressed Galkina about Dolan. This time, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 directly asked Galkina if Dolan had a connection to the information contained in the Steele reports and whether Dolan was the second unidentified individual with whom she had discussed Steele report-related information. Before answering, Galkina asked Mueller's supervisory special agent one to remove her sunglasses from her face so that Galkina could look Mueller's special supervisory special agent one in the eyes. Galkina then confirmed to the Mueller supervisory special agent one that Dolan was the second unidentified individual with whom she had discussed Steele report information. Galkina also stated that Dolan was a, quote, big Democratic supporter. As discussed above, in October 2016, Galkina would later inform a friend that because of her acquaintance with Chuck Dolan and several citizens from the Russian presidential administration, Galkina knew something and can, can tell a little about it by voice, meaning I can tell you about it on the phone. 
or not by phone. I'm sorry. I can tell you, I can't, I can't write this down. We have to talk about it. I can't write it down. Jeez. I mean, this is, um, that's right. Goat herder. This is, uh, this is a boom right here. I remember it from the trial and where's Galkina now? I wonder, I wonder what Olga Galkina is doing now. Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 and Mueller Analyst 1 pushed to open a case of Charles Dolan. Armed with the information provided by Gakina, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 returned to the United States and began to further investigate Gakina and Dolan's involvement, if any, with the Steele reports. As discussed above, beginning in July 2017, Mueller Analyst 1 assisted Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 in vetting the Steele reports. As part of the work, Mueller Analyst 1 began researching Galkina's relationship with various individuals possibly connected to the Steele reports, including Danchenko and Dolan. In connection with that research, Mueller Analyst 1 began drafting a memorandum to memorialize her findings. In or about late August 2017, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 and Mueller Analyst 1 briefed various members of the Mueller Special Counsel investigation about Dolan's relationship with Danchenko and Galkina. Those present for this briefing included Otten, Supervisory Special Agent 2, who is Mueller Spe Supervisory Special Agent 1 supervisor, and Jeannie Ree, a prosecutor for the Mueller Special Counsel team, who at the time was leading the Special Counsel's investigation into Russian efforts to influence the 2016 presidential election, colloquially known as Team R. Following the meeting, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 believed that the team was supportive of continuing the, to investigate Charles Dolan and what connection, if any, he had to the Steele reports. On September 1st, 2017, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 drafted a case opening document for Dolan. The opening document detailed, among other things, one, Dolan's connections to Danchenko and Galkina, two, Dolan's connections to the Democrat Party, and three, Dolan's connections to the Kremlin. The document also summarized Danchenko's June 15, 2017 conversation with Helsin about Dolan. Nevertheless, on September 7, 2017, Otten instructed Mueller Analyst 1 to cease all research and analysis related to Dolan. Where did that order come from? There's a footnote specifically for that. It should be noted that this information provided by Mueller Analyst 1 is corroborated by a contemporaneous timeline she kept of the events at issue during her time with the Mueller Special Counsel. In her interview with the office, Mueller Analyst 1 stated that she prepared the contemporaneous timeline in the event she were later interviewed about her role in the Mueller Special Counsel. Guys, God bless this woman. God bless this woman. Not only was she doing good work, but she was aware enough of what was going on in this special counsel with certain individuals involved with it that she needed to keep some notes and develop this timeline because she she had the awareness to understand what we're doing during this is probably going to be examined. Good work by her. Okay, one uh, that was uh, this one. Okay, later that same day, so later on September 7th, 2017, 
Supervisory Special Agent 2 informed Mueller Analyst 1 that she was being transferred from Team R to the Mueller team investigating Paul Manafort, colloquially known as Team M. In her interview with the office, Mueller Analyst 1 recalled that she asked Supervisory Special Agent 2 for permission to continue researching Dolan before moving to Team M, but that her request was denied. Nevertheless, as discussed more below, following her transfer, Mueller Analyst 1 continued to refine her memorandum regarding Galkina's connections to, among others, Danchenko and Dolan. She did a great job. Okay, now there's a footnote that's important here, I think. In her interview with the special counsel, Mueller Analyst 1 stated that Otten had made edits to her memorandum, some of which removed information regarding Dolan. Mueller Analyst 1 recalled being frustrated by many of these edits and wondered if the edits were being made by individuals other than Otten and with a political motive. However, Mueller Analyst 1 was unable to provide any evidence to support this speculation. When interviewed by the office, Otten recalled that his edits were reflective of his belief that some of the information regarding Dolan was too speculative. All right, so... Like, if we just imagine a court of law here, she, Mueller Analyst 1 is reporting that these edits were made by Otten, and she believed that there was a political motive, and possibly others were making the edits. And then Durham, this was, Durham also interviewed Otten, and Otten said he did make edits. And notice his interview of Otten right here, July 26, 2021, is before his interview of this analyst. So Otten had already told Durham before he interviewed the analyst that he had made edits to that memorandum, which means Durham asked him about this memorandum, you know, something like, so are you aware of this memorandum that was drafted by so-and-so Brian Otten? Yes. Okay. Are you like, and then they, they discussed it. So Otten had already admitted to Durham that he made, he made changes to it. And then here's Mueller analyst one saying, yep, he was making changes and, she suspected there was political motivation there. Manafort's resignation as Trump campaign manager. I need to scroll back up. I skipped something. Okay, I'm right here. As noted above in September 2017, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 participated in the two-day interview of Christopher Steele in which Steele admitted that Dolan, quote, had drinks with Danchenko and was responsible for at least one allegation in the Steele reports. That would be Manafort's resignation as Trump campaign manager, that report. Okay. Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 stated that they did not probe Steele further about Charles Dolan because the FBI did not want to, quote, show their hand to Steele. Hmm. On September 22nd, 2017, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 and Mueller Analyst 1 attended a meeting with Supervisory Special Agent 2, Otten, and Attorney Ree to discuss among, uh, discuss, among other things, the recently completed interview of Steele. At various times in September 2017, Mueller Analyst 1 recalled that Ree opined in some that there was no longer a need to investigate the Steele reports because the reports were not within the scope of the Mueller special counsel mandate. Oh, we've heard this before, haven't we? Haven't we? 
Similarly, Otten told the office he recalled that in September 2017, Deputy Assistant Director David Archie informed the team that they should cease work on attempting to corroborate the Steele reports. This directive, given by the Mueller investigation leadership, is somewhat surprising given that Director Mueller um, Director Mueller's broad mandate was to investigate, among other things, Russian election interference in 20, the 2016 presidential election. Parameters that clearly would seem to include the Steele reports. Indeed, as Mueller analyst one noted in her interview with the office, the Mueller special counsel team continued to investigate cases involving non-Russian persons and entities. Thus, Mueller analyst one disagreed with the contention that Dolan fell outside of the Mueller mandate. In her interview with the office, Mueller's supervisory special agent one stated that while she did not recall the quote outside the mandate justification for the denial of the Dolan case opening, it would quote surprise her if that was the reason provided by Mueller team leadership. This purported position also is curious given that the steel reports underpinned in a significant way the probable cause contained in the page FISA applications. All right. <laughs> the special counsel's mandate. So what this reminds me of, of course, is special counsel Mueller testifying in front of Congress and being asked about the steel reports and him saying that wasn't within his wasn't in his purview, right? And there's a clip of it. When I get to this and I add it into my thread on Twitter and True Social, I'll definitely include the this right here, Mueller, not in purview. So in that where he says that it wasn't in his purview. Um he was asked about it more than once and I'm trying to remember, I think it was, I think it's the Matt Gates clip that is the one that gets played the most, but he was also asked about it and gave the same answer. I shouldn't do this live during the show. I'll do it later. I'll, I'll make sure to add this to my thread. Um, I think it was and genealogy girl or mad beach or mermaid may remember. Um, I think it was either Ratcliffe or Stefanik that also asked Mueller about the Steele dossier. And when Mueller answered them, he said that it was being handled by another group in DOJ. He said it wasn't in his purview, but he didn't, he gave an additional piece of information. He said that it was being investigated by someone else or some other team in the DOJ. And I think it was Ratcliffe who asked him, but I can't, I can't remember Ratcliffe or Stefanik. Anyway, everybody misses that because the, the, that's how fake news works. So the conservative incorporated fake news just grabbed onto him saying, it's not my purview. And then just ran that one short clip over and over again. And people just get mad at Mueller and, um, and whatever. And they leave out the part where he says the steel dossier is being investigated by someone else at DOJ. 
which was actually the more important news. <laughs> like that was the more interesting thing than Mueller saying it wasn't in his purview. Um, but that's how fake news works. And everybody only remembers that one part. They don't remember the other piece of it. Um, and that works that way a lot and no insult to Matt Gates, but I've noticed that that is what Matt Gates tends to do, or at, at least Matt Gates tends to be the catalyst for, for, uh, fake news like that. And I'm not blaming Matt Gates. Uh, I'm just saying that I've noticed that Matt Gates tends to be the guy who sets up what becomes the fake news for Con Inc later. And I haven't fully decided whether or not Matt Gates does this on purpose. It could just be part of his, um, just the way he is and the way he kind of grandstands a bit. And let's just be honest. Um, he does grandstand a bit. It is enjoyable. It is entertaining. I'm not knocking it, but, and he's not the only one for sure. But, uh, Matt Gates does seem to be the guy who is the catalyst with his questions of people who appear in front of him. He sets up these viral moments and clips that end up getting shared around. And usually there's some fake news that gets attached to it or some kind of spin that gets attached to it. And that's what people remember. But then also in the same hearing, there'll be other questions that are actually really interesting. I remember that like there's one where Matt Gates was asking an FBI analyst or uh, somebody about Hunter Biden's laptop. And the guy didn't know anything about it. He didn't know where it was. And Matt Gates started grilling this guy about, you're telling me that you're the whatever, and you've been working at the FBI for this long, and you and the FBI has had Hunter Biden's laptop for this many years, and you don't even know where it is. You don't even know where it is, who's looking at it or anything like that. And the guy's like, it has nothing to do with me. I haven't been assigned to look at the Hunter Biden laptop. How would I possibly know? where it is or what's being done with it, or I have nothing to do with it, but it became a viral clip of Matt Gates. And then your headlines like Matt Gates grills the FBI over burying Hunter Biden laptop, but he's literally questioning somebody who has nothing to do with it. Um, he also set up the, the Millie, the general Millie viral clips that paint general Millie as being this like communist sympathizer. Um, Matt Gates set those clips up. And if you listen to the full answer, Millie's answer is perfectly reasonable, but it gets clipped down. Anyway, I'm not not bashing Matt Gates. I'm just saying I've noticed that he seems to be the guy who sets up the deployment of those things. And sometimes I wonder if that's on purpose um, to keep the narratives going, to seed these narratives and keep them going to provide some narrative shielding. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely fake news. Um, he generates a lot of fake news on some of these issues. All right. Anyway, uh, Jason, thank you for the rant. He says, in my opinion, Matt Gates is a rodeo clown, also a wrestler. Yeah. I think that's a good description. Yeah. He's kind of like a rodeo clown. Yeah. Gets the bull's attention, right? I'm looking over here at, uh, somebody else comments. Yeah. Genealogy girl. They, they ran with it's not my purview, but in in fact, it was not in his purview. That's right. It's interesting to see Durham addressing it in the way he is right here.
he de- he's not really knocking it, but I like he, he said this position is curious, given that the steel reports underpinned in a significant way the probable cause in, contained in the page five applications. I wonder if uh, Durham is pointing us to something here. Might be a hint. Mueller, special, super, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent One also recalled that Attorney Ree, while initially favorable to investigating Dolan, gradually soured on the idea. In that same vein, in a meeting on October 17, 2017, Supervisory Special Agent Two informed Mueller Supervisory Special Agent One, Mueller Analyst One, and Otten that Dolan fell outside of the Mueller investigation's mandate. Two, the investigators had too much work and too few resources to focus on Dolan. And three, Washington field office could task Danchenko regarding Dolan. In fact, Mueller analyst one's contemporaneous notes explicitly state that Mueller investigation leadership directed Mueller analyst one and Mueller supervisory special agent one to, quote, dedicate no resources to Chuck Dolan. That's a quote direct no resources to Dolan. Nevertheless, Supervisory Special Agent 2 stated that tangential work work on Dolan could be continued, although it was unlikely that a case opening on Dolan would be approved. Ultimately, Supervisory Special Agent 2 informed Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 that her request to open a case on Dolan had been denied and it was a, quote, higher-level decision. I think I I detect the scent of a swamp creature. I think their name might be McCabe. What you want to bet, Andy McCabe stepped in and said, nope. Supervisory Special Agent 2 directed Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 to delete the case opening from Sentinel. Sentinel is the FBI's filing system. Despite repeated inquiries, golly, these allergies, neither Mueller nor Supervisory Special Agent 1 nor Mueller Analyst 1 was ever provided a specific rationale for the denial of the case opening. Similarly, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 never learned who ultimately denied the case opening. In a December 21st, 2017 link message exchange, Mueller Analyst 1 and Helson discussed the case opening on Dolan. In one message, Mueller Analyst 1 stated, quote, Yeah, it isn't good what EM, FBI Executive Management, decides to do with it is beyond my pay grade. I made arguments in person and that's all I can do and serialize the relationship. During an interview at the office, Supervisory Special Agent 2 opined in retrospect that it was a, quote, oversight not to open on Dolan and that Dolan should have been, at a minimum, interviewed. It should also be noted that in his interviews with the office, Otten stated that he was supportive of opening an investigation of Dolan. This recollection was corroborated by both Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1 and Mueller Analyst 1. Okay, so that's that kind of seems to con- contradict the earlier the earlier stuff with Otten editing the memorandum, right? And taking some information about Dolan out because he said it was too speculative. 
But here, or Otten told Durham that he was supportive of opening the case on Dolan, and both Special Agent 1 and Analyst 1 uh, corroborated that. So maybe it wasn't so much Brian Otten protecting Dolan because Brian Otten wanted to, but it was Brian Otten protecting Dolan because people above him told him and instructed him to do that. And maybe he was, I don't mean, I, it depends on what was removed, but maybe through removing some information on Dolan, maybe he hoped to make the memorandum better so that it would be approved. Like if he took out some of the speculation that had been put in there, maybe he, he took it out because he thought it was more likely to be approved if he took it out. I'm not sure. All right. Eighth, part eight. Uh, Mueller supervisory special agent one and Mueller analyst one expressed concerns about the appearance of political bias in the decision not to open on Charles Dolan. In her interview with the office, Mueller supervisory special agent one recalled that she and Mueller analyst one discussed whether the decision not to open on Dolan was politically motivated, given Dolan's extensive connections to the Democratic Party. Mueller supervisory special agent one stated that she did not believe the decision not to open on Dolan was political, but that she did worry about the optics of the decision, given that Dolan was a prominent Democrat. Mueller supervisory special agent one further stated that she did not witness any explicit political bias during her work with the Mueller special counsel team. Nonetheless, at the time, Mueller supervisory special agent one believed that the decision not to open on Dolan would eventually be reviewed by the OIG. Wow, even back, even then. When interviewed by the office, Mueller Analyst 1 did speculate that the decision not to open on Dolan was politically motivated. Mueller Analyst 1 speculated that the information on Dolan ran counter to the narrative that the Mueller Special Counsel investigators were cultivating, given that Dolan was a former Democratic political operative. You can scratch out the former. However, Mueller Analyst 1 was unable to provide the office with definitive evidence to support her belief. Like Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1, Mueller Analyst 1 believed that the decision not to investigate Dolan would eventually be reviewed by the OIG. In fact, Mueller Analyst 1 informed the office that she uploaded her Galkina memorandum to three separate case files on the FBI Sentinel system to ensure that the OIG would have access to the document. Clever girl. Well done. The FBI's failure to investigate Dolan. In sum, save for efforts by Otten, Helson, Mueller Special Supervisory Special Agent 1, and Mueller Analyst 1, the FBI's failure to complete logical investigative steps concerning what if any role Dolan played in the Steele reports was troubling. As discussed above, the office has determined that Dolan was a source for at least one allegation in the Steele reports and was one of only three U.S. persons named by Steele. In both his October 2016 and September 2017 interviews, who had more information about the reports? If the FBI had learned nothing more about Dolan, Steele's statements alone would have been an ample basis to interview Dolan. Moreover, Mueller Supervisory Special Agent 1, Mueller Analyst 1, and others had uncovered significant information about Dolan. 
independent from what the office subsequently unearthed, that potentially connected him to the Steele reports. This was information that plainly warranted further investigation. In summary, the evidence possessed by the FBI and elicited during the Danchenko trial showed that, one, Dolan maintained a relationship with Danchenko, Steele's primary subsource for the Steele reports. Two, Dolan maintained relationships with very, various Russian government officials, including Peskov, Pavlov, and both of whom feature prominently in the Steele reports. Three, Dolan was present in Moscow in June 2016, met with the general manager of the Moscow Ritz-Carlton, toured the premises, including the presidential suite, and had at least one meeting with Danchenko, who was also in Moscow. Four, Dolan was present in Moscow with Danchenko in October 2016. During the time frame, Danchenko was gathering information for Steele reports. Five, Dolan maintained a relationship with Galkina, allegedly a subsource for Danchenko, and met with Galkina in Cyprus on two occasions in the summer of 2016. Six, Dolan performed work for Galkina's former employer, who would later appear in the Steele reports. Seven, Galkina admitted to the FBI that she provided Dolan with information that would eventually be in the Steele reports. And eight, Dolan was a prominent and longtime Democrat, Democratic political operative who vocally supported candidate Clinton. The FBI interviewed hundreds of individuals through the course of the Crossfire Hurricane and Mueller Special Counsel investigation, and yet they did not interview Dolan or the other two U.S. persons identified by Steele as early as October 2016. The office interviewed Dolan on several occasions, and he denied being a source of information for the Steele reports, save for the Manafort campaign-related allegation he provided to Danchenko in August 2016, an allegation he acknowledged to the office that he fabricated. Although both Steele and Galkina suggested that Dolan may have information related to the Steele reports, our investigation was not able to definitively prove that Dolan was the actual source for any additional allegations set forth in the Steele reports. That said, in light of the foregoing, there does not, a, not appear to be an objectively sound reason for the decision that was made not to interview him. All right, now we get to Sergey Million. I wonder... I wonder how it could be proven that Dolan was the source. You need you need somebody to flip. You need Olga to flip. You need Danchenko, excuse me, to flip. You need somebody to flip or produce some records that prove Dolan was the source. Circumstantially, it's very, very strong, right? It's very, very strong. We have every reason to believe or we have many reasons to believe that Dolan was the source for much of what was in the Steele dossier, right? But that's a, it's a belief. That's what we believe right now. We don't know. We need facts and evidence to go along with our belief, to change it from belief into no. All right. F. Sergey Millions. A particularly disturbing example of the unsupported narratives regarding Trump and Russia, created and pressed by Fusion GPS and Steel, involved a Belarusian American named Sergey Million. At the time of his purported involvement in Trump-related matters, 
Million was a New York-based real estate broker who, from 2006 to 2016, served as president of the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce. In the course of his employment, Million had, dis- had occasion to be involved in some relatively minor listings of Trump Organization properties. As discussed more fully below, Danchenko claimed to have a sor- half sourced several of the most serious allegations in the Steel Reports to Million including allegations of an ongoing conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russian officials. Several of these allegations were included in the Page FISA applications. In particular, and perhaps most importantly, Steel Report 2016-095 stated in part, quote, Speaking in confidence to a compatriot in late July 2016, Source E, an ethnic Russian close associate of Republican U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump, admitted that there was a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation between them and the Russian leadership. This was managed on the Trump side by the Republican candidate's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, who was using foreign policy advisor Carter Page and others as intermediaries. The two sides had a mutual interest in defeating Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, when Putin apparently, whom Putin apparently both hated and feared. We don't believe the feared part. Well, I mean, I don't, uh, I guess it is true. Yeah, I can kind of believe it. Putin, several, during several interviews with the FBI, during several interviews with the FBI, Danchenko said that he believed Source E in Report 2016-095 referred, at least in part, to Million. According to Steele, Danchenko was the only one communicating with Million, and Steele stated that Danchenko had, had had direct contacts with Million in New York City and Charleston, South Carolina. On the other hand, Danchenko told the FBI that although Steele believed that he, Danchenko, had met with Million, he never did. Further, Danchenko did not correct Steele in his mistaken belief that Danchenko had met directly with Million. As explained in greater detail below, the spectacular claim contained in Steele Report number 2016-095 of a, quote, well-developed conspiracy of cooperation, excuse me, between the Trump campaign and Russian leadership is based entirely on a purported anonymous phone telephone call Danchenko said he received from someone he had never spoken to before. In particular, the information about the conspiracy was conveyed to him by an anonymous caller who Danchenko told Crossfire Hurricane investigators he believed might have been Million, based on Danchenko's claimed comparison of the caller's voice to a known YouTube video containing or featuring Million. Yet this unvetted, completely uncorroborated allegation was included in the Page FISA applications both before and after the FBI learned its provenance from Danchenko himself. 1. Danchenko's statements to the FBI regarding Million. When interviewed by the FBI in January 2017, Danchenko was twice asked to review Steel Report 2016-095 and explain where the information came from concerning a well-developed conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russian leadership and the roles allegedly being played by Manafort and Page. Danchenko told the FBI that the source E information sounded as though it were from a call he had received in late July 2016 from an anonymous caller who Danchenko believed was Sergei Milion. In particular, Danchenko described the following strange event. Danchenko told the FBI that in June or July 2016, he communicated with Alexei Bogdanovsky, 
a U.S.-based Russian national employee of RIA Novosti, a Russian state-run media outlet, about reaching out to Milyan, who Danchenko had never met or spoken with. Okay, so Bogdan Novosti, allegedly, told Danchenko, you should meet with Sergei Milyan. Bogdan Novosti indicated that his colleague at RIA Novosti, Dmitry Zlodarev, had a relationship with Milyan and had previously interviewed Milyan about Trump. Bogdan Novosky ultimately provided Danchenko with Milyan's contact information. Thereafter, Danchenko told the FBI that he reached out to Milyan via email twice, but did not receive a response back from him. Danchenko did not provide the FBI with copies of these emails, despite explicit requests to provide any records of communication with Milyan. Danchenko next told the FBI that, in late July 2016, after receiving no email response from Milyan, he, Danchenko, received a 10-15 to minute phone call from an anonymous individual who he believed to be Sergei Milyan. During this purported phone call, the caller, who did not identify himself, reportedly informed Danchenko about 1. Trump and the Kremlin, 2. Communications, and an ongoing relationship between the parties and three, Manafort and Page. The unidentified caller also supposedly said that while there was nothing bad about the, quote, exchange of information between Trump and the Kremlin, the information could be good for Russia and damaging to Trump, although deniable. Danchenko said that he and the person he believed to be Milyan agreed to meet at a bar in New York City in late July 2016. Danchenko also told the FBI that he traveled to New York in late July 2016, but that Milyan, or the person he believed to be Milyan, never showed up for the meeting. As discussed in detail below, Danchenko's version of events regarding his trip to New York conflict with the relevant record. Nevertheless, Danchenko did admit to the FBI that he had, in fact, never met with Milyan in person. Although, as noted above, Danchenko knew that Steele mistakenly thought that they had met on several occasions, and Danchenko intentionally did not correct him on that point. Footnote. In the January 2017 interviews with the FBI, Danchenko first told the FBI that he received the late July 2016 anonymous call from the individual he believed to be Milyan following his initial email to Milyan. Danchenko later told the FBI that he received the anonymous call after his second email to Milyan. As discussed below, given the date of his second email to Milyan, Danchenko's shifting version of events is inconsistent with the documentary evidence obtained during the investigation. Instead, Danchenko told the FBI that the damaging allegations contained in Steel Report 2016-095 stemmed from the single telephone call from the anonymous individual he believed to be Milyan. The office does not find any evidence or uncover any motive that would explain why Milyan, a vocal Trump supporter, would call a complete stranger and provide damaging information about Trump. Makes no sense. In any event, Danchenko was not able to produce phone records or other evidence to corroborate this alleged call, despite explicit requests by the FBI to do so. Nor does it appear from FBI records that Crossfire Hurricane personnel pulled and reviewed Danchenko's toll records in an attempt to corroborate his statements regarding an anonymous call. Danchenko surmised during one interview that the purported call may have been received on an encrypted phone app, 
although a review of his email messages to Million reflect that he made no mention of having or using any phone apps. Consistent with his inability to keep his narrative straight, Danchenko also later told the FBI that he had a couple of calls with Million. In any event, Danchenko was not able to produce phone records or other evidence to corroborate this alleged call, despite explicit requests by the FBI to do so. Nor does it appear from FBI records that Crossfire Hurricane... Oh, wait. Sorry, I just read that. I lost my paragraph place. Um, let's see. A couple of calls. Million. Danchenko also told the FBI that Source D and Steel Report 2016-080, relating in part to the scandalous Moscow Ritz-Carlton allegations against Trump, quote, could be referring to Million. Danchenko's efforts to participate to partially attribute the Ritz-Carlton allegations to Million support the notion that he fabricated his interaction with Million. Indeed, as noted above, Danchenko told the FBI that the information he obtained from Million came from a single 10 to 15 minute anonymous phone call that took place in late July 2016 and was the only time that Danchenko allegedly communicated with Million. Given that the steel report containing those sexual allegations was dated June 20th, 2016, over a month prior to Danchenko's alleged call with Million, the above-described Source D, Million, allegation concerning the Ritz-Carlton is highly probative of the fact that there was never such a call, phone call between Danchenko and Million. It would have been impossible for Million to confirm the Ritz-Carlton allegations and other information to Danchenko in June 2016 because, as Danchenko repeatedly informed the FBI, the first time he allegedly communicated with Million was late July 2016. <coughs> Steel statements to the FBI about Million. Time is it? Oh, sweet. On September 18th, 2019, 20 of 2017. Let me start over. On September 18th and 19th of 2017, FBI personnel from the Mueller Special Counsel investigation interviewed Steele. Steele stated in part that Danchenko had collected election-related material in the United States for Orbis. As part of that undertaking, Danchenko informed Steele that he met in person with Million on two or three occasions in New York and perhaps in Charleston, South Carolina. However, as noted, Danchenko informed the FBI that he had not, in fact, met with Million on any occasion and did not correct Steele in that misimpression. The Evidence Obtained by the Office The evidence obtained by the office shows that Danchenko, in fact, never received a phone call or any information from Million. And Danchenko never made arrangements to meet with Million in New York. Rather, the evidence demonstrates that Danchenko fabricated these facts regarding Million. Indeed, a review of the email sent by Danchenko to Million in the summer of 2016 support this conclusion. The same emails Danchenko failed to provide to the FBI when, interviewing, when interviewed regarding Million. Those emails are described below. Danchenko first came to the attention of Million on May 26, 2016, when Russian journalist Dmitry Zlodorev emailed Million the following: "Sergey, hello. I hope all is well with you and you and your 
something, are once again in America. It is my family you told me. It is my recollection you told me that you either have or will have news. Will it be convenient if I call sometime next week? In addition, my colleagues have an acquaintance, Igor Danchenko, who works here in consulting. Through them, he requested I find out if it's okay to get in touch with you. If I understand correctly, it is about Trump and Russia. Can I give him your contact information, email, phone, or just email? Later that day, Milian replied to Zlotarev that he was leaving for Asia on June 10th, 2016, and would call him soon. Milian's reply does not mention Danchenko. On July 21st, 2016, Danchenko, who appears to have acquired Milian's email address from Zlotarev, sent Milian the following message. Colleagues from RIA Novosti gave me your contact information. You spoke to Dmitry Zlotarev about Donald Trump and his trips to Russia. I want to ask you, what projects was he looking into or were these just image-building trips for beauty contests? There has been a lot of speculation for months now on this topic. It would be interesting to chat about this topic. It's confidential, of course. I don't have any relationship to media, though of course I do have acquaintances here. In any case, it would be interesting if and when possible to chat with you by phone or meet for coffee or beer in Washington or in New York, where I will be next week. I myself am in Washington. It is also possible by email in Russian or in English. I sent to you a request to LinkedIn. There my work is clear. Milian did not respond to Danchenko's July 21st, 2016 email. In fact, Milian was traveling in Asia at the time Danchenko sent this email and did not return to New York until the night of July 27, 2016. Notably, Milian had suspended his cellular phone service effective July 14, 2016, prior to his travel, and his service was only reconnected effective August 8, 2016. On July 26, 2016, Milian emailed Zlotarev. The following, Dimitri, on Friday I'm returning from, from Asia. An email came from Igor. Who is that? What sort of person? That same day, Zlotarev responded, Sergey, hello. Do you remember I said that a friend of my colleague wanted to get acquainted with you? You gave permission to give you your, your email. The way I understand it, this is who this is. He and I are not personally acquainted, though he is, it seems, in my LinkedIn and I didn't know what he wanted to talk about. If I remember correctly, he works at some think tank in Washington. Milian did not respond to Danchenko's July 21st, 2016 email. On August 18th, 2016, more than two weeks after Danchenko purportedly received the aforementioned anonymous call and allegedly agreed to meet with Milian in New York, Danchenko again emailed Milian, stating in part, Hello, Sergey. I wrote you several weeks ago. We are contacts on LinkedIn. Danchenko then described a real estate deal in Russia and inquired about Milian's interest in the transaction. Danchenko closed the email by stating, Right, call, my contact information is below. This email, which post-dated the alleged late July call from Milian, clearly reflected that Danchenko had not, in fact, spoken with Milian and did not believe he had done so. 
Specifically, Danchenko's email did not mention a possible call from Milian and did not discuss plans to meet in New York with Milian. On August 24, 2016, Danchenko emailed Zlotarev, stating in part, Alexei Bogdanovsky recommended that I get in touch with Sergei Milian. I've read your interviews with him, but for some reason, Sergei doesn't respond. I already both asked him about Trump and also proposed a project in Russia. What is your relationship with him like? Would you be able to ask him to reply to me? I could call or write on LinkedIn, but until he responds, I would not like to pester him. By the way, you and I are also contacts there. This August 24th, 2016 email to Zlotarev again made it clear that Danchenko had not, in fact, spoken with Milion in late July. Again, Danchenko's email did not mention a possible call from Milion, did not discuss plans to meet in New York with Milion, and did not inform Zlotarev that Milion did not show up to the alleged meeting in New York. Later that day, Zlotarev responded in part, Igor, hello. Sergey Milion asked me a couple of weeks ago who Igor Danchenko is. I had told him earlier, but he apparently forgot. At that time, he wrote to me from South Korea. The thing is that he, based on his own words, now spends more time in Asia than in America. Try to write him once again. I simply know that he is constantly traveling and could actually have forgotten. The emails quoted above are further evidence that between July 21st, 2016 and August 24th, 2016, Milian did not call, email, or meet with Danchenko, and Danchenko knew he had not received a call from someone who he believed to be Milian. In addition, in July, 20, July 2020, the Senate Judiciary Committee released a heavily redacted report of Danchenko's January 2017 interview with the FBI. In the report, Danchenko is only identified as Steele's primary subsource. When the redacted interview was released, Million had been publicly reported to be a source for certain information in the Steele reports, including the information purportedly collected in late July 2016, alleging that Trump and his campaign were in, engaged in a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation with Russian officials. The redacted and anonymized interview also indicated that the, quote, primary subsource, Danchenko, had received contact information for Source 6, i.e. Million from a journalist who had previously interviewed Milion, i.e. Zlotarev. Following the release of the interview, Milion began to email Zlotarev, attempting to uncover the identity of Steele's primary subsource. In late July 2020, Danchenko was identified by name in press reporting as Steele's primary subsource. On July 19, 2020, Milion emailed Zlotarev, stating in part, quote, I believe they've already found Steele's source and it links an internet address. Do you remember such a person, Igor Danchenko? On July 20th, 2020, Milian again emailed Zlotarev the following. I've been informed that Bogdan Davoski traveled to New York with Danchenko at the end of July 2016. Danchenko supposedly to meet with me, but the meeting didn't take place. Can you inquire with Bogdan Davoski whether he remembers something from that trip and whether they touched upon my name in conversation, as well as for what reason Danchenko was traveling to New York. Steele, it seems, made Danchenko the fall guy, but Danchenko himself made several statements that were difficult to understand.
For example, about the call with me. Did he tell Bogdan Davoski that he communicated with me by phone and on what topic? Thank you. This will clarify a lot for me personally. It's a convoluted story. These 2020 emails between Milyan and Zlotarev again point to the fact that Danchenko did not receive a call from Milyan in late July 2016. The office also reviewed phone records for both Danchenko and Milyan from 2016 and 2017. Those records reveal no communications between Milyan and Danchenko. In fact, the office was able to identify nearly every call received by Danchenko during the relevant time frame. Of the small number of calls that could not be identified, none had a duration approaching 10 to 15 minutes. Moreover, as noted above, service to Milyan's primary cellular telephone number was suspended at the time Danchenko allegedly received the anonymous call. Further, the contention that Danchenko may have received an anonymous call from someone he believed to be Milyan on an internet-based application was not supported by the evidence obtained by the office. Indeed, at no time did Danchenko inform Milyan that he could be contacted on an internet-based application, to say nothing of the particular application Milyan should use. Rather, the evidence did show that when Danchenko wanted to communicate on an internet-based application, he explicitly communicated that to his contacts and identified the application to use. With respect to the purported meeting with Milyan in New York, the evidence obtained by the office revealed that Danchenko had planned to travel to New York during the week of July 24, 2016, prior to even reaching out to Milyan for the first time. Indeed, the evidence revealed that Danchenko's trip to New York was a sightseeing excursion with his young daughter. In order to credit Danchenko's version of events, one would have to accept that Danchenko, with his young daughter, planned to meet an unidentified individual at an unidentified bar in a city of 8 million people at night. Finally, the office interviewed Milyan. Milyan unequivocally stated that he never met with or spoke with Danchenko. When asked if he provided the information reflected in the Steele reports to Danchenko, Milyan stated, quote, that did not happen. 100% did not happen. Milyan stated he has received threats to his and his family's safety because of his alleged role in the Steele reports. Okay. How much more is this? And then I'll have to go. Okay. We're, I'm going to try and hit this, this section. Um, Fusion GPS implicates Sergey Milion. As discussed above, the office found no evidence that Million was a source of any of the allegations in the steel reports. Given this fact, the office endeavored to determine the genesis of Million's implication in the steel reports. In particular, what caused Danchenko to first reach out to Million in late July 2016? To that end, the office reviewed, among other things, records obtained from Fusion GPS and the public statements of Fusion GPS principals Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritsch. Specifically, Fusion GPS records demonstrate that Nellie Orr first identified Milyan as having connections to Trump. Orr was a Russian-language contractor employed by Fusion GPS and wife of department official Bruce Orr. 
On April 22, 2016, Nellie Orr prepared a report for Fusion GPS that set forth, in part, Millions' connections to Trump. This report was prepared just 10 days after Fusion GPS was retained by Perkins Coie to conduct opposition research on Trump and prior to Steele being retained by Fusion GPS. Notably, on April 13, 2016, approximately one week prior to Orr's report, RIA Novosti published an interview with Milian that was conducted by Dmitry Zlodorev. In that interview, Milian described his alleged real estate connections to Trump and spoke positively about Trump's candidacy. Interesting that Durham describes what Milian talked about as alleged real estate connections. If you've studied some of the things Milian had, has put out, you know why Durham says alleged. And I covered it during the trial. It's because uh, it didn't exist. Milian was interviewed by RIA Novosti several more times over the course of the summer and all of 2016. On May 7, 2016, Nellie Orr compiled another report discussing, among other things, Milian. All told, Orr prepared at least 12 reports that discussed Sergey Milian. There's a footnote here. The office collected various records and statements from Fusion GPS and Fusion GPS employees over the course of its investigation. No one at Fusion GPS, however, would agree to voluntarily speak with the special counsel's office. In addition, the DNC and the Clinton campaign asserted attorney-client privilege over a substantial number of Fusion GPS emails. And next footnote, consulting agreement between Fusion GPS and Perkins Coie was signed April 11, 2016. Steele was approached by Simpson to research Trump in May 2016. That's according to the OIG interview of Steele. Okay, Nellie Orr's reports included Millian's views on how a potential, quote, Trump presidency might affect U.S.-Russia relations. Notably, Orr included internet links in the reports to several YouTube videos from 2012 featuring Millian. Hmm. As discussed above, Danchenko told the FBI that the anonymous call from late 2016, quote, sounded like Millian, based on a YouTube video that Danchenko had previously watched. The reports prepared by Orr and others at Fusion GPS were ultimately provided to Crossfire Hurricane investigators by Orr's husband, Bruce Orr. As discussed above, Fusion GPS approached Steele in May 2016. Prior to his retention, Glenn Simpson met with Steele at Heathrow Airport in London and pitched Steele on the opposition research project. Approximately one week later, Danchenko contacted RIA Novosti journalists seeking Millian's contact information. The timing of Danchenko's request to RIA Novosti on the heels of Steele's meeting with Simpson in London strongly supports the inference that Fusion GPS directed Steele to pursue Millian. Indeed, by the time of Steele's meeting with Simpson, Nellie Orr had already identified Millian's alleged connections to Trump. In addition to Orr, other Fusion GPS employees also appear to have worked on research pertaining to Millian. While the vast majority of the internal Fusion GPS emails were withheld from the office based on privilege claims by the Clinton campaign or the DNC, the privilege log provided revealed that Fusion GPS employees regularly emailed about Millian. 
often attaching what appear to be draft memoranda about Millon or forwarding news articles concerning Millon. Okay, I'm looking at some of these footnotes. In their book, Simpson and Fritch state that Steele identified Millon as, quote, one of the key intermediaries between Trump and the Russians. Okay. Back to where we're. For example, on July 1st, 2016, Fusion GPS employee Jake Berkowitz emailed a draft memo titled Sergey Millon 6.30.16 Doc. Several weeks later, on July 13th, 2016, Berkowitz forwarded the same document to Glenn Simpson. Glenn Simpson. At the same time, the research on Million was being conducted. Fusion GPS was promoting Million to the press as a key intermediary between Trump and Russia. For example, on June 27, 2016, Fusion GPS principal Peter Fritsch sent an email to Franklin Foer, a reporter at Slate magazine, with subject line, We Think. The email stated, <coughs> this dude is key. And it links to a nestseekers.com agent, Sergey Million. He is clearly KGB. That Minsk State Linguistic University is something of a giveaway. If you are downtown, come by. Fusion GPS's research on Million appeared to increase substantially in late July 2016. In fact, between July 25th, 2016 and July 28th, 2016, Fusion GPS employees exchanged several dozen internet emails pertaining to Million. During this time, Glenn Simpson was in contact with ABC News producer Matthew Mosk about Million. Notably, emails showed that Mosk had been communicating with Million since at least July 13th, 2016. During the course of this correspondence, Mosk learned that Million was abroad, but planned to return to the United States in late July. On July 26, 2016, Mosk emailed Million the following. Hello, Sergey. I am writing to see if you might have any photographs of Donald Trump or Don Jr. visiting Russia from your firm's work with the Trump Organization. We would very much like to be able to illustrate his past travels to and business interest in Russia. Later that day, Million replied that he only had a single photograph with Trump that had been taken in Miami. In reply, Mosk asked Million if he would be willing to do an interview with ABC News about his experiences with Trump and proposed to conduct the interview in New York. Million indicated that he would be available, available to conduct an interview in New York on the, quote, weekend or next week, I can't. While making arrangements with Million, Mosk emailed Simpson and informed Simpson that he, Mosk, was, quote, making arrangements to interview Million on camera and that he and Simpson should chat. Million ultimately was interviewed by Brian Ross of ABC News on July 29, 2016. For reasons unknown to the office, ABC News did not air the Million interview in its entirety until January 2017 after the steel reports became public. Nevertheless, Fusion GPS continued to send Mosk information about Million, including Fusion GPS's comprehensive report on Million dated June 30th, 2016. On September 13th, 2016, Mosk emailed Simpson and Berkowitz and asked, quote, what's the most official thing we have 
showing Millian tied to Trump. That would make it hard for the Trump org to disavow Millian. Berkowitz responded with a screenshot of Millian's Trump gold donor card that Millian had posted on his Instagram page. Throughout the fall of 2016, Fusion GPS continued to communicate with the media about Millian and Trump. And that is where we will stop our reading for today. That is page 183. So the next time I go live, which is kind of up in the air, uh, will be on page 183. Um, I have more comments to give, but somebody sent an outrageous, outrageous rumble rant. Insane. Patriot Donnie, what are you doing? What are you doing, Patriot Donnie? That is extremely generous. They say, I love your take on everything. Never misdefected either, but not live. I want to donate to you. Well, you did. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. That is absolutely outrageous, that, that Rumble rant. And uh, thank you very much. It is sincerely appreciated. And I will be sure to spend it on, um, well, cigars and coffee and Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Might grab a toy or two for the kids. Thank you very much. That is that is very kind of you, and I very much appreciate it. God bless you. Um. Okay, I have to go. Yeah, I got to end the show real quick, but I just want to. I just want to make a couple comments about Million. Because I go back and forth on him. And I don't know if others do. It's kind of like established now. Well, not kind of. It is established narrative in um, in the in conservative media and, and whatnot. And just in MAGA and everywhere else. Like It's just com commonly people think of Sergey Milian as being a victim here. And that Sergey Milian was targeted by these conspirators they they basically they tried to tie him in and they did him wrong and he fle he left America he now lives in the UAE i believe or last last i heard i think he's in the UAE and that he's completely innocent he never did anything wrong he didn't have anything to do with his conspiracy just an innocent guy who happened to be russian and a trump supporter and so they and then he had some minor real estate deals on property that was connected to Trump. So, but that's it. He's, he's just a regular guy and that, um, a victim. I'm willing to believe that. And I think it's, I think it's a strong possibility, but what I can't get over is that million definitely has some hallmarks of being Russian intelligence and I think it's the Senate select committee report on him lists some of those things. And, and just, and they regarded him as a likely Russian Intel or likely a Russian asset. Um, so I keep, I keep thinking of him as possibly that. And then he also has a connection to Oleg Deripaska 
who just about everybody in Spygate is connected to, right? And um, and then he lied. He lied about some of the things he was involved with, um, as far as like he, but. Anyway, he showed some dis- he showed dishonesty when talking about his relationship with the Trump org that could be written off as him embellishing and um, trying to aggrandize his role and his connection and relationship. I think at one point he said something like he represented so many businesses that were Trump's and like he said that he was the representative of the Trump org in Russia or something like that. Um some odd things. Those comments from him led Danchenko to then come up with that offer. Like, Hey, I got some real estate that you may be interested in. Well, that that's why Danchenko tried that angle. Um, so one hypothesis here with millions role is that basically fusion GPS and Danchenko worked to try and tie million into their operation as a patsy. So if you imagine that Danchenko and million had actually had some contact, like let's just say that million had emailed back to Danchenko and said, I would like to meet and they do meet. And then after that million is now tied directly into this conspiracy and Fusion GPS uh, continues to develop him as being part of it. The media, they held on to that interview about Danchenko, right? They did it in the summer of 2016, but didn't release it until January 2017. They were still getting updates from Fusion GPS, so possibly they uh, held on to it, waiting for the right time to deploy it to try and cement the Trump-Russia allegation by exposing a Russian-born individual inside the Trump campaign and Trump org. I think that's what the angle may have been. But there's another layer to it. And I think that's that Million might actually be intelligence of some sort or an asset of Russia or was at one point. So imagine how things would go if they were successful in tying Million closely to Trump and then NBC News introduces ABC News introduces America to Million in that in that interview, and then later it's learned that Million is actually a Russian agent. They would literally, if that had worked out, they would literally have a confirmed Russian agent inside the Trump campaign slash Trump org that they could use to further establish the Trump Russia narrative. I hope I hope I'm making sense. Um, but I have an alternative hypothesis to that. And it's based on partly a read of Danchenko's emails to Sergey. It's and then him emailing Zlotarev and asking, why doesn't this guy respond to me? There's just a few peculiar things about those emails and then Million's phone being turned off while he was out of country uh, or having no service while he's out of country, that service ending and then being reopened three or four weeks later. 
I have an alternate hypothesis hypothesis that Million is an agent and was aware of what was going on with this uh this operation that Danchenko was involved in and he got he became aware that it was going to be busted. He figured out that this was not going to go well and that they were going to be exposed. And so he ghosted Danchenko. I I have an alternative theory that I, I can't let go of that Million is actually a really smart operator and realized things were not going to go the way they planned. He had been told he was supposed to make contact with Danchenko to help further establish the Trump Russia narrative. And decided that he would ghost Danchenko because he didn't want to get, he didn't want to go down with the crew. He didn't want to go down with this. So he ghosted him and Danchenko was, is over there. Like what WTF I was supposed to make contact with this guy and he's supposed to help me with my, what I'm being paid to do for Christopher Steele. And he won't respond to me. And that's why Danchenko's like, WTF, why won't this? And so he ends up lying. I really think that Milian is part of this, or at least Danchenko was told he was part of this. And then because he he couldn't make contact with them, that's why Danchenko lied. See, it doesn't make sense to me that Danchenko would lie about these phone calls and meetings with Million. It does it. Why? Why do that? I think it's because he was instructed. I think that I think it's possible that guy at RIA Novosti was a handler or something and informed Danchenko, contact this guy, say, take this angle of how you approach him. I'll let him know he's going to you're going to contact him and he's going to help you with your project. But the guy wouldn't answer, so Danchenko decided to lie to make it because he did his part, right? As a as a as an agent in this conspiracy, he did his part. Million's not reciprocating on his end. But Danchenko just goes ahead and lies about it. Anyway, it's something that it's something to think about. It's definitely not a popular theory. Um but I can't quite let go let it go. I really I have a lot of side eye for Sergey Milion because if he had traveled to America and agreed to testify at Danchenko's trial, I believe that Danchenko would be in prison right now. And he said he wouldn't come. He wouldn't come to America because he because the big bad FBI would arrest him. Well, why would they arrest you? I thought you had nothing to do with this. <laughs> And then he last minute, like the week before the tri- before the trial started, Sergey posted about how I'll do it. I'll do it for America. I love America. I'll come there and I'll I'll testify. But I want this and this. And he wanted like immunity for himself. He wanted to bring his own security guards um, and he wanted U.S. Marshals also to protect him. And he wanted something for his family. Like he had this list of demands that Durham needed to grant him. 
with it with like seven days to go before the trial started. And I just thought it was ridiculous. Um, he goes, he goes on and on and on about how he's a victim of this. And, um, he wants these people brought to justice, but when he had the opportunity to put one of those people away, Danchenko on four counts of lying, he didn't take it. And I, I can't get over that. If I try to put myself in his shoes, and if I was framed the way he says he was framed by Danchenko and the media, then I would swim across the Atlantic to, to get to a courtroom so that I could testify against the person who framed me, right? That's what I can't get over. There's some, there's something, there's a, I think he didn't come to America because he actually really would be arrested because he's a bigger, I think he's a bigger player in this than is public right now. But I'm doing Tassiomancy. I could be reading the, the leaves incorrectly. I've done so before. Okay. That's the end of the show, fam. Thank you very much. Awesome support today. Thank you very much again. Patriot Donnie, God bless you. Have an amazing day. That's extremely generous of you. And uh, I sincerely appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate everybody's rants. Thank you guys very much. And thank you for all the positive comments you're sending me about enjoying this, this report and us reading it. Um, I'm going to keep doing it. So I'll be live tonight on Devolution Power Hour. And then I'll be live tomorrow for Durham Testimony on Badlands as well. And I'll see if I can get a time to stream Thursday night. Okay. And we can pick up, we can do another two hours of, uh, of this report. Friday is out because, um, my today's the last day for my toddler of school. So I'm on some, after today, I'm on summer schedule, which I will have to, uh, I'll have to figure out how I'm going to do it. Um, so, okay, we left off on page 183. Yeah, page 183. God bless y'all. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Have a great day.